Alistair and I are moving uh, house next month in in the middle of March, and uh, we're renting. And uh, right now, we're well where we hope to live within the next <clears throat> two years, but probably more like four <laughs> is uh, being built a community, intentional community. And uh, I, I found out just a couple of days ago that they're actually going to start showing the house today. And so I immediately started to feel stress, you know, because, oh my gosh, I just, I thought I had another couple of weeks. I thought they'd start showing it in the 1st of March for some reason, but anyway. Uh, so I was, I was getting really stressed over, oh, i got to clean it up, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, so over the last couple of days, I've been working very hard at getting the house very clean because our um, lease actually goes through May, and we, I, I want to make sure. It's a really adorable house. I think it will be fine, but uh, I think we'll be, they'll be able to rent it. But I want to make sure, you know, do everything I can so that we don't have to pay two rents for a couple of months. Um, I'm reading this uh, little bit by Ajahn uh, Cha this morning about, you know, uh, really um, grounding yourself in your refuge. And uh, and refuge being, you know, that, that the place that is taking on the training that allows us to realize this place, you know, where our mind can go and our body responds in a very relaxed and uh, comfortable way, where our mind can go that's not dependent on the conditions around us. So I, I'm, I'm thinking about that and I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's great. That's a great practice. And, and I get up this morning and I've got like, okay, I'm just going to put aside my usual couple of hours of prep for this morning's Dhamma talk because I've, I've got to make sure that, you know, the last little bits are all perfect and the there's uh, cat hairs all picked up and little trails that Alistair leaves behind <laughs> all wiped down. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm I'm noticing it because there's this this uh, conscious anchor and re and remembrance from Ajahn Chah to you know just doesn't matter what the conditions are, you know relax, be okay with the way things are right now, and just you know deal with the obstacles that come up from the way you wish they were. So with that as an anchor, I noticed how much my mind was chitter-chattering about, oh, why does Alistair leave his, leave his dirty shoes here? Now I have to clean up after these. And I was like, and, and it was remarkably comfortable, whereas usually I've, I don't even notice the irritation that's building up by making these comments and believing in these comments. He shouldn't do this. It shouldn't be like this. They're coming, they're, actually they, they've already shown it now. They started at 10.30 and they're showing it throughout the day. 
And it was so it was really um it was really lovely to be um I mean this is part of the the the, the training the practice that the the Buddha laid down for us to as we train with these uh, precepts and refuges you know at at first it can be so um you know, we can feel a little discombobulated. We can feel a little bit lost, uh, uncertain. We start to see things that, because we have this framework now um, to work within, to train within, we can feel like, oh, this is too hard. I'm never going to get this. But as we relax in, you know, just take refuge in this is the way it is. I'm untrained. My mind isn't completely enlightened you know i'm i'm not i have some spiritual immaturity great i saw it i can work with that i can be okay with the way it is and i can even be okay with seeing the limitations um, because they're actually only limitations if i make them a limitation so seeing that these thoughts still arose when I saw muddy shoes by the back door on the floor that I had just swept and mopped. <laughs> Seeing that these thoughts, uh, these um, negative thoughts would arise doesn't mean I have to buy into it. Doesn't mean I have to leave my place of refuge. It's, it's just a habit of mind. And now I'm witnessing, oh, I'm not buying into that. There's a thought. That thought arises. How often do I begin to deal with circumstances from a point of view that um, I want to escape from the circumstances? Alistair's, we have family from Alistair um, in Scotland and we have um, a gift of land should we ever wish to uh, partake of it. We could build a little house in, in Scotland on, on, family, on a family plot um, in, in this beautiful forest. It's actually not a forest, it's a woods. It's called the Scottish Woods, actually. And... Uh, and I tell you, I cannot tell you how many t I'll tell you, I cannot tell you. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm schizophrenic too. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how many times the thought has occurred to me in the last couple of months that we should just leave the United States. <laughs> we could go to Scotland. They didn't even vote for the Br Brexit. Is that how you say it? <laughs> They actually voted against it in Scotland. I was like, yeah, let's just go back to Scotland. There's family there. Could live in the woods. Could build little cooties. We can invite the monks. Could, I could start all over. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to start over. <laughs> but that thought has occurred to me. But in reading this with um, of Ajahn Chah's this morning, and his... His, uh, he's talking to, I, I was reading this thing that I've never seen actually before, where he's talking to 
Arjun Sumedho, and Arjun Sumedho has just been in the uh, uh, UK for I don't know how long, but not for very long. I would say somewhere between six months and a year, maybe. And he's grumbling about how difficult it is. And Ajahn Chah is going, don't do that. Don't do that. You're the senior teacher here. You've got to just, you know, you gotta, you, you got to recognize the refuge that you have and share from that place. You know, and this is what the Upasaka training is about, you know, recognizing, taking opportunity to recognize our refuge and 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 share from that place. Oh, let me read this little bit from Ajahn Amaro. He, he wrote this, or he didn't write it. This was um, a transcript of a talk he gave to his monastics for a, uh, during the winter retreat retreat uh, of last year, in March of last year. And he's talking about, you know, retreat conditions. Um, but it can relate to, to just, you know, coming to uh, a group sitting uh, for an a afternoon. Retreat conditions are ideal for, um, you know, having some insights, but it can happen too as we live our life um, and, and make contact with community, uh, with like-minded people. So Ajahn Amaro says, we use the conditions of the retreat time, understanding that it is a specific kind of environment. Group meditation practice, the, st the strict schedule, lack of necessity to engage in personal tasks, we create the optimal conditions not to cling to them, but to take advantage of the possibilities that they present. Then with those advantages, we learn skills. And this is where it actually is more pertinent to, to us now. With those advantages, we learn skills that can accordingly be applied in every situation. Whether there is a retreat or encounter, stillness or activity, Sol solitude or engagement. This is a skillful use of retreat time, not to make it a refuge in itself, but to use the environment to develop adaptability, a profound flexibility of nature. To take refuge means to embody the refuge of awakened awareness in this way. Embodying the Dhamma, being Dhamma. Embodying the Sangha. In learning these skills, developing these qualities, we can see for ourselves how that enables the heart to be fully at peace in all circumstances. There's gain and loss, sickness and health, praise and criticism, happiness and unhappiness. The heart is at ease, open, awake, malleable, and ready to learn. Whatever each moment's circumstances brings with it, whatever comes, moment by moment, day by day, the heart is ready to learn from that. It develops wisdom, understanding, on account of that. These are the blessings of a training environment like this. We develop these skills to be robust, to be adaptable, to have independence. 
The heart is no longer reliant on particular conditions, such as being with the people you like, or having the food you like, or the weather that you like, or the routine that you like. Independent means not depending on anything. With a blessing, what a blessing. How wonderful, what a delight. True independence, freedom. Let the world do what it likes. Let the weather do whatever it wants. Let the rain, the wind, the snow, let it blow. Let it fall. The heart remains secure. Such a beautiful reminder, the purpose of this training. That the heart really can be free from the complications that the mind may throw at it. It can be comfortable and open with whatever emotion arises. Whether that be grief, which is natural, confusion, which is natural, a knee-jerk anger, frustration, stubbornness, ecstasy, delight, pride, jealousy, goodwill. The heart can remain calm, open, and present for the reality of the conditions that arise because we are human beings. And in that exercise of remaining open, relaxed, and awake to whatever is arising, present and passing away, that's where we can see the way things actually are and make choices, take action or non-action purposefully, intentionally, that's in line with Dhamma. Because we're coming from a place of how things actually are. We're witnessing the process of being human, and we're not confused by it. So when a thought arises in me and I feel a little irritation, those shoes are muddy and I've just cleaned the floor, and we have people coming to see the place, and I want to rent it out, and I can go on, <laughs> and then I can feel the irritation more and more. When I, when, when I witness this, I can also remember, ah, oh, relax. This is what suffering feels like. It doesn't feel very good, but it's okay. It's now present. Ah, allow it to pass by not believing in it as something that I actually need to take seriously. 
And when I do that, I actually immediately have compassion for the habits of my husband that are never going to change <laughs> and may irritate not you know irritate people here or there so i can have compassion which just feels so much better and then it's like now just take care of it put it as, put it aside clean it up it takes or it took me approximately four seconds <laughs> to actually pick the shoes up, set them, set them aside where they sh should have been set, and wipe up the mud. Four seconds. I've given up asking Alistair to not do that because he's not going to remember. It's, it's part of his ADD or something. <laughs> it's part of his lovely character. <laughs> You know, and I can be a part of the beauty of being a partner with a habit that has a habit that I don't like, you know, and, and then in that generosity is noticed. And this person is more likely and has been more likely as I've learned to be accepting, to be more accepting of, oh my gosh, I have some habits that are irritating to him. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> and that feels so good, you know, to have a partner that will that has the space, the capacity to and the confidence to notice I don't like it when she does this. And I'm okay with that. And I'll just make up for it in this way. That's one of the great things about, one of the beautiful things about the Apostolic Training. And, and for anybody who doesn't know what that means, um, it's a, a training that comes, uh, this training that we have here, it's, it comes through, actually, it originated in Amravati with Ajahn Smedo and Ajahn Amro. Uh, before Ajahn Amro moved to the United States and um, co-founded with Lungpur Pasno um, Abhayagiri Monastery, he was uh, with Ajahn Smedo in Amravati. And they started up I think it was mostly Ajahn Amro, uh, Onopasaka program. Then Ajahn Amro came over to the United States and he was here for 10 years. He's back now as head abbot over at Amravati. But while he was here in the United States, he started again with Lungpur Pasado, Onopasaka program in Bayagiri. And uh, over the years, they trained 12 of us as lay uh, ministers. I was going to say lay monastics. <laughs> as lay ministers um, and represent, uh, representatives of, uh, at, in, in, the, in the lay form of the monastic system of Ajahn Chah. And so uh, as I graduated from that program, then I asked permission to start an Opasika program in Portland. And that's where this Opasika program then comes out of that. <clears throat> so it comes from the teachings of Ajahn Chah from back 
back in Thailand, through Europe, through into North America, started in California, up here into Portland. And it's a com small community of um, it's, that's just grown by 13, so it's doubled in size. <laughs> it's quite lovely. Uh, that uh, live on the five precepts. And, uh, and we gather together once a month to, for a, a little bit more intense period of meditation together and then talk about how the practice is going and, and learn a little bit more about the etiquette of being apostacus in the Ajahn Chah lineage. And, uh, and it's just really lovely to be part of a, a community of lay people that have taken this extra step. Um, you know, to just challenge ourselves to seek that refuge, to know our refuge, to, uh, you know, use the support of each other to live a restrained life. It took me several years before I would take the five precepts when I first started in Buddhism because uh, my main sticking point was the I, I really liked uh, red wine and and marijuana. <laughs> I was hesitating saying marijuana, but I have said it so many times now. Then <laughs> I just see new faces, and it's oh yeah, I just say it. So it took me a while, but I I don't miss it now. I, I mean, I, I will say I do miss the red wine still. <laughs> and I think I will always, the rest of my life miss that. But, uh, but the benefits of not relying on uh, alcohol or drugs uh, to enjoy life, to enjoy contact, to enjoy community uh, is beautiful and uh, and worth it um, and then and and the benefits of always having a clear mind uh, extraordinary actually uh, one of the things about alcohol that I that took me many years to to actually um, uh, to actually see clearly I see I don't know how to say this to actually understand the benefit of not having it. The de I, I, it took me many years to see the dependence I had on it to enjoy, um, you know, say a night out. Uh, a bonding experience with other people. And, and that was what I missed about, mainly about red wine, was that, you know, relaxation and the bonding I felt with other people. and. And this was really most evident with my um, father-in-law. He's from Scotland. He always wears a kilt. He's just a really beautiful man. And he comes over to uh, the United States every couple of years and hangs out with us. But as I first was getting, Alistair and I have been together for about 25 years now. When I was first, uh, first many years of being part of this new family, um, he and I were the, uh, we, we were like drinking partners. <laughs> we were the two uh, people that had uh, knowledge about wines and ports. And, and uh, 
you know, aperitifs and brandies. And, <laughs> and so we would always, we'd spend time going out searching for good wines. Uh, I didn't know anything about scotches, and so he was teaching me about scotches. And So that was part of our bonding. And whenever he came over to the United States, you know, I enjoyed taking him to a nice wine shop or a nice place out uh, out for dinner that I knew had a great wine list. And, and it took me several years of being on the precepts and missing having that bond with him before I actually took on the challenge of um, recognizing that I am actually free from those conditions. I, I do not have to be, I'm, I'm depending, I'm, I'm, I'm making important what is not important. So I just determined, you know, pretend, knowing that this isn't true, that this glass of water is a glass of red wine. Just pretend and just act as you would with loosening up with him uh, over dinner. We were at a very fancy restaurant and he had ordered a very uh, fancy glass of wine. Alistair and I weren't drinking, so we didn't order a bottle. And, uh, and so I start to do this and I, and I realized I could have the actual same experience, the same enjoyment, the same relaxation, just by being present with him and wanting you know, being open and available to having this communication with him on this level. It was not actually dependent on the wine. And for years, I had missed wine because I thought it was the avenue. I was totally convinced, I was totally conditioned that it was the avenue toward this kind of bond that I no longer could have. Um, and that was a really wonderful uh, experience. I still miss wine, but now I see why. And I see, and I think that's just going to be a habit that I might have the rest of my life. But whenever he comes over, I, I miss it. Whenever I go over there, I miss it. But it's, it only takes a moment for it to, to, once I see it, I can actually, it can actually just, I can let it go. I can allow it to pass. I don't have to believe in it. I don't have to dwell in it. And then I can remember what's important. And that's my refuge. You know, my, I, and I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't taken the five refuges. Because I would have been able to s subtly support my dependence on that condition. So... Chad, welcome to the Apasaka Sangha once again. Thank you very much. And I uh, just wanted to give a little shout out to other Apasakas, new Apasakas, old Apasakas. Thank you for your practice. And uh, it's a really, it, it, it provides a really nice foundation for others to enter into this place that is safe, this place of people that are working to remain present with the circumstances as they are and not just running off.